Hey everybody, Jason from the future here. Just want to let you know that I need to apologize about this episode's quality. I ran out of time, so this episode is a first draft. Normally I record an episode or I record segments and I go back and I kind of redo them and, or I record them a number of times. And I would try, normally try to record this episode again and get it down to closer to half an hour and clean up some of the sloppiness in here. But I, I just ran out of time. And due to the publication schedule I put for myself, you, you're getting a slightly inferior product. I think all the content here is decent. Just the audio may not be the, the best and it could be edited down just a little bit. So I just wanted to give you that warning up front that this episode's not quite up to the standards I'd like them to be, but I felt that it was worth getting the content out to you on time as opposed to pushing back everything to get you a slightly cleaner up podcast, especially since I basically do guerrilla podcasting anyway. So anyhow, with, with that slight warning out, of the, warning out of the way, you can tell I'm tired, um, I'll let you get on with the show. Well, pops up a beer or a cold libation, let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn, fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest, and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slowdown, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is actually not a Variety Cast, but it's just me rambling about the first session of our Cyberpunk 2020 game. So I hope you enjoy that. Also, don't forget to send in your contest entries for the October initiative. I need those by the 20th of October. Let me know what your favorite initiative system is and your least favorite initiative system is and why. And you'll your name will be put in the hat to be randomly drawn out. The winner gets $20 drive-thru RPG gift certificate and $25 to the charity of their choice. So I've talked about this in more in-depth in other shows, but I'm just doing a short one today because I want to get to this recap because it went a lot longer than I wanted to. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy this episode, and I will talk to you tomorrow when I do my mailbag episode with a special guest. So don't miss that. Anyhow, let's get talking about Cyberpunk, Chumba. The only game I have to talk about is the session of Cyberpunk 2020 that I ran. And I think it went pretty good. So let's do a story recap. And then let's talk about how it went rules-wise. So the story for Cyberpunk 2020, a story recap. I need to name this. I don't know if we're going to... We're either going to call this, this mini-campaign a hard rain after Joe's character, or maybe a hard rain, hard rains are coming. I don't know. We'll let you guys decide that. The players decide that. They can give me feedback. I didn't get... So before we get into the story, I will say one thing I dropped the ball on. I was going to edit together a video with video clips and a newsreel and some other things. 
and I, I didn't get to it. We've all been sick and dealing with other things, and I just didn't, never got to doing that. So they didn't get the the value of that ahead of time. I'll have that for the next game, though. Um, I, I don't think it hurt anything too much because everybody got into it, and we're all in costume. Well, most of us were in costume. So I, I think we still got the, the feeling, and, and we're just all doing good. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to have the video snippet, the scream sheet. So in Cyberpunk, the newspaper's called Scream Sheets, and they're like these short, you, you know, really... It's like the the newspapers of Puerto Rico in the 80s where you, they had printed all the violent crimes, pictures in the newspapers, the dead bodies and all, and you could, like, ring the newspaper and drip blood. That that actually is what a one of my soldiers told me, who was, you know, he was from Puerto Rico, uh, Mario. He was a really good guy. I, I wish I'd stay in touch with him. He, I liked Mario a lot. But anyway, he used to say when he was growing up, in in the eighties in Puerto Rico, you could ring the newspapers and they would drip blood because of the really gory pictures of the dead bodies and stuff they put on the cover on the front page of the newspaper. And that's kind of how I view these scream sheets in Cyberpunk. But so as the story goes, we have our characters this session were was Rain, who is a rocker boy, is musician, played by Joe Richter of Hindsightless. We have um. You know, I just wrote these down. We have Marcus Red, who is played by Carl Rodriguez, the Geomologist Presents podcast. Marcus is a solo, so he's like a gun for hire. You know, he's your your street samurai this game, right? And then we have Morgan, who's a fixer. And what a fixer does is they're, you know, a contact defense, but also an information broker. Um, so both stuff and information. Morgan also happens to have a job as an exotic dancer. So that's kind of where she meets people and does her business and, and whatnot. And Morgan is being run by Daniel Norton of Bandits Keep podcast, YouTube channel, and actual play YouTube channel. So Arlen Walker is also in this game of live from Pelham's Wasteland fame, but he could not make the session. So his character wasn't there. Um, so Rain had called a meeting. Rain, not too long ago, Rain had done this gig for Militech, and he was there in kind of the corporate headquarters handling the money part or handling something with a meeting, something. For some reason, he was in their headquarters. And, and as he was leaving, this guy bumps into him. He's like a scientist, you know, lab coat and stuff. But he, like, bumps into him in the hallway and bumbles and, and it kind of goes down. And, and, and Rain doesn't think anything of it. But later on that day, Rain finds this friggin' microchip in his pocket, you know, his data chip in, in his pocket that this guy must have slipped in there. He's like, what the heck? And then these accidents start happening to rain, you know, like, you know, there's like a piece of stage gear might catch fire or something almost falls on him or these random shots hit near him. And so rain figures out pretty quickly that these two things might be connected, but he doesn't have the skills to get into this microchip. So, Rain to, and, he, and because he doesn't know what's going on and some of these accidents seem to be happening really close to him and really conveniently, he's not sure who he can trust. So Rain calls a meeting with Morgan, who, who he's worked with back in the day, and with Marcus, who he also knew from back in the day but aren't currently connected to him, so he figured it was safe to pull these two in. He knew Morgan would have contacts to be able to find out what's on this data chip, and he figured... Marcus would be safe to pull in as like a bodyguard and his muscle 
because Marcus wasn't currently connected to his operation or, you know, with his band or anything like that. So Mark, by pulling in this outside help, hopefully Marcus wouldn't be connected to whatever this conspiracy is. So he meets him at Big Louie's place, the Triple Trace. The Triple Trace, of course, is famous because it's a three-drink minimum. And, and they're really stingy about it. They, they really enforce this three-drink minimum. It's a big deal. Keeps the riffraff out. Um, Triple Trace is a real industrial kind of place. Um, the tables are metal. The chairs are metal. The bars, everything's kind of... The bars would, but, but most of us all metal and all. I, I set that up so if they had wanted... If they had ended up getting into a fight in the main bar floor or in the main nightclub floor, if they wanted to flip the tables over, I, were, I was going to give the tables the same armor value as, say, a car door or a car body. It, it didn't end up coming to that, but they, they could have done that. Um, anyhow, so they're there. The bouncer, Turk, is at the door. Turk is, well, I guess in Riff's term, he's a full conversion board. For some reason, that term stuck in my head. But he's all cybered out. He's a He's also a solo, but he's a ba- but you know he has day job or his night job, his regular job as a bouncer, but he's you know all cybered limbs up. He's his he doesn't try to hide his cyber eyes or anything, and, and he's just a big you know basically a monster. The only thing keeping him from going into cyber psychosis and killing people is a steady stream of drugs and things like that. But Big Louie likes having Turk there because Turk's really intimidating, and so he doesn't have a whole lot of fights. So between the three drink minimum and having this really impressive guy there is a bouncer. Usually, Triple Trace is a pretty good place to go because it's a pretty safe club, all things considered. Big Louie used to be like a, a, lo- a loan shark and all, but then he got out of that life and he got the club, and he's got a pretty good reputation all around for being a pretty honest, straightforward guy. And definitely, um, Marcus had worked for Big Louie back in the, at one point, and... Um, Rain is no Big Louie for a long time. So they go there, and, and JoJo's there at the bar. You know, he's a bartender. And it, so the first one to show up at this meeting. So, and we played it out. We had we, we had Joe call each of them on the phone to set up this meeting, and we played out those phone calls, which was really cool. And then they, I, I asked, what, when are you going to show up at the club? And the first one to show up at the club was going to be Morgan, so... We played that out. Morgan got a whole stable of her girls that were getting off shift at the at the dance club. Morgan has these girls that are getting off shift, you know, get some of the Johns that are there kind of half drunk at the club and have them come with them. So so Morgan puts a disguise on. She has this cyberware that lets her change her skin tone and skin color and her hair color and all. Well, she puts on a wig and, and lightens her skin tone and brings us gaggle of girls and Johns to the triple trace. Of course, the guys are buying everybody drinks. So they get in, they get there like at 1030. And then before the meeting at midnight, Morgan goes into the bathroom, changes back to the way she, you know, changes her king color back to her normal tone and takes off the wig and all. And then she comes out and sits separate from the group. So it's like, she's not part of that group, you know, just kind of sneak in. Marcus gets there about half an hour early before the meeting and, you know, he kind of nods Turk and maybe they fist bump or whatever. They kind of know each other and he goes, talks to the bartender, Jojo, for a minute. And um, he's kind of like hanging, just kind of hanging out, casing the place, doesn't see anything crazy. And then Rain comes in fashionably late about half an hour after the meeting was supposed to be at 1230. 
Marcus calls him, you, you know, about when Rain's about 15 minutes late, Marcus calls him. So he play out that phone call, you, you know, and Rain's on his motorcycle, you know, zipping through the city trying to get there because he got held up. And But anyway, he gets there and, and kind of lays out what's going on. He orders three drinks, three whiskeys, tells them to bring them to the table. They all go sit at Morgan's table. The waiter brings his whiskeys, asks if anybody wants anything else. At this point, Marcus wants a Bloody Mary, extra spicy Bloody Mary. And Morgan orders a, a Blue Sunset, which is this kind of sex on the beach drink that's got like fluorescent blues in it and stuff. And so the so there rains laying out what's been happening to him and the waiter brings these in the way it's not Jojo, the bartender, but it's a waiter brings this stuff over, leaves the drinks. I have everybody roll awareness. Only, um, Joe, only rain made the awareness roll. So he knows a glint where the lights glinting off the ice in the glass is a little bit weird. So they check it out and they're actually broken shards of glass in the drinks that the, the waiter just brought. They, they look up, and the waiter's nowhere to be seen, so Marcus goes over to the bar and starts talking to JoJo, and JoJo's like, oh, um, I don't know, he, he just went in the kitchen, man, and I'll, here, I'll go get him, and JoJo's kind of oblivious, and, and Marcus doesn't say anything about the glass and the drinks, so JoJo goes in the kitchen. At this point, Rain's like, we, we need, or I forget if Rain or Marcus said, we need to get out of here, but before they get out of there, Marcus, or I'm, I'm sorry, if Rain or Morgan... <laughs> Too many M's. Morgan, I think Morgan might have said we have to get out of here, or maybe Rain did. But either way, they those two decide they need to get out of there. But before they do, Morgan puts a you know a cloth napkin over the glass and strains the drink into another glass to get rid of the so that glass shards aren't there, and and then tosses the the empty glass with the glass shards on the ground, and and so she can still drink the because she paid for the drink. Well, actually, Rain paid for that drink, but. Anyway, so she could drink it. But they gather the girls up, and they go out the front door. And Marcus, because it's been a couple minutes, and now he knows his Turk isn't in the room anymore either. Turk is gone, the big bodyguard. So Marcus is like, I'm going to go in the kitchen. You guys go out front. And they have this plan. They're going to kind of meet in the back alley behind the, behind the club. So Morgan and Rain, the fixer and the rocker boy, go out front. And the solo goes in through the kitchen to try to find out where everybody went. He goes through the door, and the kitchen's empty. So you think, I know it's TV reference, but like Hell's Kitchen, like the main kitchen there, where you have a big island kind of in the middle for the food prep stuff and to lay stuff out, and then you got like cooking stuff on either side. So you walk in into this kitchen. There's the door that goes into the main club, which is what Marcus is coming through. And then on the right-hand side, in the on the back wall, is a door that goes into like a break room, and then Big Louie's office is off of that. On the right-hand wall is a freezer. On the left-hand wall is a storeroom. And then off that storeroom is the door to the street, which is where trucks would come to unload things right into the storeroom. So Marcus comes into the main kitchen area. And it's obvious food prep and stuff has been, has been being done in there. But nobody's in there. There's nobody in there at all. He's like, this is weird. This ain't right. So he sneaks down. I don't make him make a sneak roll because he, he knows what he's doing at this and he's not opposing anybody. So he he sneaks through the kitchen to to the back door. He doesn't go in either of the side rooms. but the, So the, the door to the employee break room has like a gla, you know, glass window there. Kind of peers through the window, doesn't see anybody. Goes into the break room, 
doesn't see anybody, goes up to Louie's office, tries the doorknob. It turns, he eases the door open just a little bit, and he hears Louis, big Louie's voice, come on in. Everything's okay. And at this point, now Carl's spidey sense is really tingling. So Marcus tries to have this conversation with Big Louie through the door. And he's like, where'd everybody go? And Big Louie's like, oh, they should be out there. I don't know. Why don't you come in here? We'll figure it out. And Mark's like, no, you won't you come out here? And Marcus, at this point, has stepped back from the door slightly. He's already got his handgun out. And the door f- flies open, and there's this goon standing in the door raising a gun up at Marcus. Now, Marcus, being a solo, gets a bonus to his initiative. And, and, and so he acts before this guy does. And, and that's, I'll talk about rules when I do a rule recap. But what, the other thing I did in the rules is I just rolled one, I, I just rolled one initiative for all the, for the group of bad guys. I didn't roll individual initiative for each bad guy. Um, but just maybe keep that in mind when we talk about initiative or talk about the rules in, in the next segment. But anyway, Marcus wins the initiative. So he decides he's going to try to disarm this guy. But he rolls a fumble. Well, actually, so in Cyberpunk, if you you can do multiple actions, but each action is a minus a, a minus three to every action you do. So if you do one action, there's no negative. If you do two actions, it's minus three to ev- to both actions. If you do three actions, it's minus six to all three actions, right? And so on, and so on. But you can do as many actions as you want. So a combat round in Cyberpunk's a three second round. So. Carl says he's going to do three actions. He's going to try to be really cool. The first action he wants to do is disarm this guy. So he goes to do that, and he rolls a fumble. And then when he rolls on the fumble table, which the game automatically, the roll 20 automatically did this, it shows he dropped his weapon. So we figured he he used his gun hand to try to chop the gun out of this other guy because he, he, he was going to grapple him with his next action. So he uses his gun hand to try to knock the gun out of this other guy's hand, and he hits it just wrong like you know, right on his nerve or something, and he drops his gun in the process. But he does successfully grapple this guy with a second action, and then on his third action, he throws him, and he rolled a ton of damage when he when he did. So effectively what he did is he, he pretty much rips this guy's arm out of his so- out of its socket in the throw, and the guy passes out from pain. And, and then at, th- but at this point, the door's kind of swung open. He sees Big Louie, who's kind of like going through his desk drawers, and he sees a couple other goons in the room and, and shadows the goons in the room. So Carl books it. And Carl's much faster than these other guys because he's a PC and he's built with a lot of points. So Carl manages to get get through the kit. He runs through the kitchen, gets through the kitchen door into the nightclub as the door shut and as he hears bullet impacts on the door behind him. So And the door's heavy enough to stop those, those handgun rounds. So Carl, at this point... Runs behind the bar. He still doesn't see any staff inside there. There are patrons out in the bar. And the couple that see him with a gun are kind of... Now they're getting freaked out. But Carl goes, slides behind the bar, and uses cover. So only he only has one arm and his head exposed as he's laying in ambush. And, he, and he's planning on plugging the first guy, the first goon that runs through the door. And he's also, at this point, when he gets behind cover, he's calling on the phone and telling Rain... What's going on? So Rain and Morgan go through. They're already in the back alley. They go through the door into the storeroom. Nobody's in the storeroom. 
they whip out their, they, they each have a, they're, they're, they both have submachine guns that they're carrying. So they whip out their submachine guns. Rain kicks in the, through this whole combat, the PCs beat the NPCs rolls for initiative because I roll pretty horribly. So that's pretty historically, I roll bad in every game I, I'm in. So other than games where you're supposed to roll low, games where you roll under for the mechanic, I do great in, but games roll over in the mechanic, I do horribly in. Anyhow, so Rain does a multi-action thing. He he goes across the the storeroom, kicks open the door to the kitchen, and pops out and fires a burst, a three-round burst at the... Well, he, he kicks open the door, he sees these guys in there and fires a three-round burst at the rear guy. There are three more th- goons, and they're basically stacked up at the kitchen door about to go th- through the door into the main nightclub. So Joe shoots at the rear rearmost one. He hits. He rolls. Only one of the bullets hits, but it hits the guy's leg. I think left leg. We hit every ten is left leg in the system, and they hit left leg a lot. <laughs> but um, anyway, he hit. He hits this dude's left leg. Does enough damage to mangle the leg. Because if you do eight points of damage to a limb, it basically destroys that limb. And if you do eight points of damage to the head, actually, if you do four points of damage to the head, because head damage is doubled, you automatically kill the guy. But so he destroys this guy's leg. So that guy just grabs his leg and falls on the ground screaming. Morgan pops. Now, Joe had actually gone in the room. He kicked open the door and actually stepped into the room. Morgan pops around using the door cover, the door frame as cover, and fires at the front guy, but just barely misses. So that three round burst hits the wall right next to that front guy. That front guy, the front goon, now it's a goon's turn, goes through the door, and Carl character Marcus gets to shoot at him because he's been laying in ambush. So he fires and he hits, but both hits hit this guy's armored jacket. And since Marcus is only using a handgun, he's not using arm piercing rounds, they don't go through the jacket. They slightly degrade his armor jacket because, and I'll talk about that during the rules section, but they don't take this guy down. So then this guy pops a couple shots at Marcus, but they hit the bar. Both shots hit the bar and, and this heavy wooden bar absorbs both these shots. Back in the room, the the guy in the rear course spends this turn laying on or this round laying on the ground, just holding his knee, screaming. The other guy spins around and fires two shots at Rain, who had you know come through shooting, but he misses. So Rain's good to go. Next round, again, PCs win initiative. Marcus shoots at this guy who's running at him because the the thug that came through the door is come towards the bar. And he takes out, I think I think it was left leg again. He takes out this guy's left leg. Actually, he missed both shots, but he used luck because I'm let him. i letting him use luck like Call Cthulhu where you can add luck to your roll after your roll. So he burns some luck to hit this guy with a leg shot, and he takes out that guy's leg again. So this guy's on the ground holding his kneecap scream, holding his destroyed kneecap screaming. Um, Joe shoots at this guy that the second guy who was shooting at him and gets a headshot and boom, the guy's head explodes like a melon, drop like a you know, some something Gallagher hit with a hammer, and the guy just drops to the ground. He's done. And then Joe drops behind cover and he starts hyperventilating. I'm sorry, not Joe. Rain drops behind cover, starts hyperventilating. Now Morgan moves around the, the island to, to this guy that's on the ground who had been kneecapped and 
this guy still got his gun up. He still got his gun in his hand. So Morgan points the Uzi at him, you know, and she tells him, drop it. So now we did the face-off mechanic. There's a face-off mechanic in this game, and you have a cool stat. Now, if you have reputation, you can add that in here, but neither of these characters... Morgan probably should have a reputation based on the backstory, and maybe... I don't know. I need to look in. Maybe that's a rules thing we did wrong. Maybe based on how good your professional skill is, maybe the character should have be able to add that in with a reputation. But effectively, I just did... They each rolled their cool plus a D10 for this check, for this face-off. And Morgan won the roll, so the guy drops his gun, at which point Morgan walks over, kicks him in the head, knocking him out. So they can take him prisoner. Um, back out in the nightclub, of course, people are freaking out. There's gunfire. All the stuff's happening. People are rushing towards the door. Morgan comes over, does a successful grapple on this guy, and then he's got fangs. He's got, like, vamp like cybernetic vampire teeth, and he rips the guy's throat out. So people are freaking out. Morgan, or not Morgan, Marcus, the solo, drags this guy whose throat he's ripped out. He drags him back in the kitchen, sees what's going on there. Rain finally, like, stands up. He's, you know, kind of wiping tears away. He's like, no, I wasn't crying. I'm, I'm good. And, and they drag everything back into the office. They see Louie in the office. He's got a handgun on the desk. He's not, like, going for it. But there's a handgun on the desk. There's a bottle of pills on the desk. Um, and, and they start talking to him. And then this other guy's unconscious, the guy that um, Marcus had thrown earlier. And so the, basically the story was these guys had kidnapped Big Louie's daughter, Melissa, and given her over to this serial killer named Frankenstein, who's known as the Frankenstein killer because he takes random body parts off his victims. You know, might, maybe it's internal organs, maybe chops a hand off, maybe chops somebody's leg off, just weird stuff like that. And anyway, they, they said, we've given your, you know, your daughter the Frankenstein killer if you don't do what we want. And... And, and so they, you know, they brace these two thugs. Morgan does this thing where she, she does the fake out where she has the one thug where they can't really see. And she takes the other thug and pretends to shoot him in the head. You know, oh, you don't want to tell me what, what I want to hear? And, you know, fires the gun, makes it seem like she shot this guy in the head. Although, although she didn't, really didn't. And, um, and then goes over. And, and so obviously we, and we, and she has interrogation. So I gave her, made a really easy interrogation check and she rolled good. So. She got all the information out. And they found out that um, Joey Eight Fingers had hired them to take out Rain, and they were supposed to go back to this warehouse with, you know, with evidence with because they have cyber eyes with video cameras, so they could videotape the hit, and um, and they were supposed to come back and present evidence that Rain was dead. So that's where we cut off the session. Them knowing where where they need to go next. Obviously, maybe they're gonna go to this abandoned warehouse next. So. All in all, I think it was a pretty good session. Um, it, it was a fun session. I look forward to having some twists and turns and interesting things ahead of them. And they still need to figure out what's on this, um, you, you know, this microfish, this this data chip, so they can figure out what's going, you know, USB drive, whatever, so they can figure out why somebody's trying to kill Rain in the first place. So, you know, all in all, it's good. The players all got really got into it. Everybody, you know, embraced the world. It was a lot of fun. And um, definitely looking forward to the next session. And it'll be interesting to see how the Arlen's character, who's an investigative reporter, how, how they tie him in. So, I mean, there's lots of great ways to tie him in. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what, what tack they decide to do. So in this game, they got in this firefight. They took these four guys out. Um, 
actually they ended up getting the firefight with three of them and they they were smart they they did a pincer movement on them and they split them up and they, the the way they did this fight was really smart and and I kind of was a little bit nice to the bad guys and I'll talk about that in the rules section but but I mean legit they they did a good job but they didn't have to I mean they definitely if they had run out the front of the club it when they saw the glass and the drinks instead of messing around looking for the people if they had just left the club they wouldn't have known well, maybe they, if they went back later, they probably would have found Louis dead um, at that point. Maybe. I don't know. I, but but they, they they didn't have to have that fight. If they had just left the club at that point, then, you know, those guys, they, they obviously, that fight wasn't a, didn't have to happen. You, you know what I mean? So, but the way they did that fight was smart. It, it was, I think it was a really good session. I'm definitely looking for the next one. I, I had to start the session by half an hour late. Um, was doing dinner with the wife and it ran over. So next time we'll, we'll start on time. And, and we ended about half an hour early because it just, we were a good story point to end. So it was really a two hour session of, in, at a three hour block. So next time we'll get a lot more done, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the story recap for Cyberpunk 2020. But I also want to talk a little bit about the rules. As far as rules go, we had a couple bumps. For the most part, I think it went pretty good. The question came up about a one being an automatic failure, but that is in the rules on page 42 of the main book. Uh, On die roll one is automatic failure, then you roll another d10 to see if you have an additional fumble result or with an auto-loading weapon if the weapon jams. But on a one, you, you always fail. Now on a 10... Your your die explodes and you roll again, so that get so you have the chance of getting that lucky shot off that has a really high success rating. Um, so you might make a shot you wouldn't normally make. It does well, it won't add to the damage. It just adds to your chance to hit. But the other thing we had talked about a little bit. So armor, we we didn't do armor exactly by the book. With armor, normally. If armor isn't penetrated when it's hit, it doesn't degrade. There is a rule that if armor is hit and a round goes through the armor, it does enough damage to overcome the armor's penetration value and actually gets through there, then the armor will be degraded by one point each time a bullet goes through through it. Now, we just did it where armor is degraded for every bullet strike, and I think for cover that makes more sense. And, and even for... For jackets and and for body armor, I think that's fine. Um, now we're not going to do that as far as cyber armor goes. You, you know, if you have cyber armor, it's not going to degrade every time it's hit. Although that arguably would make sense too. I don't know. I have to think about that. What What do you think, players? Should we degrade your cyber armor every time it's hit? Maybe. Kind of makes sense in the world, right? But I I think that makes more sense. That way, if a guy's wearing it, like the medium armor jacket has 18 points of um, penetration resistance, right? So if you're using a normal pistol that you does, say, say a medium pistol does 2d6 plus 1, you're not going to get through that armor jacket with a shot. And normally you could shoot it all day long and nothing would ever happen. So I like the idea of each shot degrading the, the protection value by one point. So even if you have a weapon that can't normally get through it, you know, if you take an Uzi and you empty 32 rounds into an armor jacket, 
well, the first couple shots might not go through, but eventually those bullets are going to start going through that jacket. Um, is that super duper realistic? Eh, it fits the game world, so it's so it's fine. Other things that came up, we talked a little bit about ambush and the idea of ambushes, but ambushes need to be planned things. So Carl's character was able to do an ambush because he was hiding behind a bar waiting for somebody to pop out of a door, where when Joe kicked in the door, came out behind some other guys and shot at him, that really wasn't an ambush because Joe wasn't set, set up lying in wait for him. Uh, and at least that's my reading of the rules. Um, ambush gives you a plus five to, to your attack. Now, in an ambush, the other side does get to go, though, in this game. Um, what else did I do differently? So I don't... I guess you could say this was done wrong. It was done kind of intentionally. I didn't... I, I did kid gloves with the bad guys. I, I didn't build them out all the way. I, I made the relevant skills for them, but I wasn't... So in this game, normally... When you take damage, your armor would degrade the damage, and then your body type degrades the damage that much more. For the bad guys, for the thugs they fought, I didn't drop the damage by the bad guy's body type, so really it should have been minus every attack that they did on the bad guys should have been done three points less damage each time. It, it wouldn't have always made a difference. A couple times it would have kept a limb from being taken out, but... It, for this game, I, I didn't bother doing that. Um, I did do the, the saves by the book for them. They're stun saves and stuff. But And actually, the, even if they passed their stun save, if they, you know, if they lost a leg that turn because they got shot in the kneecap and it you know, did enough points to destroy that leg effectively, I had, for that rest of that turn, I had them just lying on the ground, holding their kneecap screaming, right? As opposed to shooting back the same round that, same three seconds that they just, their leg was just blown off. Or not blown off, but, you know, destroyed. So, I don't know. I, I, I guess I played a little bit nice as far as that goes. Because if they passed their check, they should have been able to act in theory. But I, I think it makes more sense for them to, for at least a few seconds, to, to grab their, their shattered kneecap and roll around the ground screaming. Um, so I played it a little bit easier with the bad guys and probably I should have. Um, I didn't build the bad guys out in roll 20. I, I just, I had in my journal, I had all their stats written down. I had little circles there for their, for their blocks. Cause you mark off blocks as they take damage. And that tells you how serious the wounds are. I was just doing that by hand. Maybe I'll build them in roll 20 next time. But these guys, I didn't even know if they were going to fight. And if they never fought, then I'm just wasting my time building roll 20. So I, I didn't bother doing that. Um, as far as cover goes, well, we already talked about armor. So for the so the only other thing that was that we that I did wrong, I think, and Joe will correct me, I'm sure. But so for the martial arts, when Carl did the martial arts, now he rolled using a sheet, so it should have. We didn't explicitly say this, but the the sheet should have done this automatically. You add your how what however many ranks in martial arts you have in that form of martial arts, you add that to the damage. But again, the sheet should have done that automatically. And then every time you do hand-to-hand -hand fighting, you do attacker versus defender. And in the very last time after Carl had a guy tied up, um, he, had, he had grappled the guy and then he ripped his throat out with his fangs. I, I didn't roll a defense for the defender. Um, I did have Carl roll the attack mainly because if he fumbled 
maybe Carl would have bit, accidentally bit himself, right? But I, and, and I did hand wave the damage for that and just said, yeah, you can rip his throat out as opposed to making us go through it in the game just because it made sense in the game. If you've got a guy, you, you know, you, you've got him, you know, tied up and in a hold and grappled and, you know, there's no reason for him not to be able to rip the guy's throat out. Um, Carl kept wanting to grapple before he disarmed, but you don't have to do that. Now, before you do a throw, a choke, or a hold, you do have to do a successful grapple. So you grapple, and then you can throw or choke or hold, but or you can, um, yeah, but you don't have to do it before a disarm. Uh, well, I, just the first time Carl wanted to do it first. I, I think he got it after that, but... I, the hand-to-hand's a little bit more complex, but it's not overly complex by any means. Um, and, and I think we did a, a pretty good job with it. Oh, the one thing I did keep screwing up, and this wasn't me not understanding the rules. This is Jason's old and his brain doesn't work like it should anymore. But when you do your stun shock save, so when, when you take damage, every time you take damage, that after the first four points of damage, you have to do a stun shock that stun shock save to see if you 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 know are knocked out or pass out or if you successfully you know resist that save and you have to roll under the value which is your body value and then subtract a mod there's a penalty so you subtract penalty so if you have a body of nine and then you're, you're you're mortally wounded it's minus three so you have to roll six or under to to not pass out right? Or not be out of action effectively. And and I kept, I don't know why. The first time I did it right, and then my brain kept saying, oh, you have to roll over that. But I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I think it worked out okay. I'd be interested to hear the player's thoughts. I know it seemed a little bit clunky. I'll get you better cheat sheets in the future, and I will. I think roll 20 didn't work well with the cheat sheets, because even though I shared them as handouts, they were really small. So I'll just attach the PDFs in the Discord. So everybody can print out, you know, full-size sheets of the cheat sheets and they'll have it in front of them. I think that'll be easier. Um, but personally, I'd like to run this just off of Zoom. We didn't use maps or anything. And I don't think that hindered us too much. I, I think th- there was a point I had to... I, I think I did okay describing it. Again, the players would have to exp- have to give their input on this. And, and I know at one point I had confused Daniel a little bit with the layout of the the storeroom compared to the main kitchen area. Um, so, you know, a map definitely would have helped that. But at the same time, I, I kind of would rather run at Theater of the Mind. I know Daniel doesn't mind Theater of the Mind, so maybe, I don't know, I'd, I'd be open to input on that. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think it was a fun session. Um, some of us did dress up for the session, which was great. You know, Joe had his, his, his mesh shirt and his, his hoodie and his glasses and he had his fingerless gloves. Um, I think Daniel had dressed up before I turned my camera on. So I, I'm running the Zoom session through my phone because my computer's old and it's hard for it to do the Roll20 and the Zoom and do everything at once. And, and so with with my phone, I've got to stay on the where you let people in the chat room until everybody joins or I won't see the request for them to join the chat room. So I didn't see whatever Daniel was doing. And, and Daniel was out of costume by the time I, I had my camera on. I have this um this mohawk. It's 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 like a like a bald cap with with a mohawk on it, you know, for a costume mohawk thing. 
I, I had that, and I had my Cyberpunk goggles, which are which are basically like painter's goggles, but they're covered in aluminum foil, and I've got stuff drawn on them. And, and I've got a, a black vest that's got like studs on it, like spiky studs on it, and I've got a T-shirt. I've ripped the arms off because you have to rip the arms off that has the anarchy symbol on it, and that's kind of my cyberpunk costume. But, um, yeah, it went good. Um, Carl didn't dress up. We were very disappointed in that. Uh, he, he has to make amends next time. But all in all, it was good. All the players got into it. They did a great job, and, yeah, it was a really fun session. So I've talked way longer than I wanted to <laughs> on this. So sorry for the meanderings, but I, I think the system worked pretty well. And after a, a session or two, I think the the combat really would click, you know, click well. So anyhow, I will have the next report for hard rain or a hard rains are coming. I don't know. What, what do we want to call the session, guys? We're going to call it hard rain or a hard rains are coming. I'll let you guys decide that. And I will close out the show. Joking by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck